Good morning, everybody, and happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. I was uh, driving around, Trina, we're running some errands early this week. Trina said to me, you know what, have you noticed how Valentine's Day is uh, kind of geared toward the ladies? And I, and I said, I said, well, no kidding. Do you want to change that? <laughs> Maybe gear it toward the guys a little bit. There was a gal, she woke up one morning, she turned to her husband and said, Honey, I just had a dream that you bought me a, a gold necklace. Well, what do you think it means? He answered, Well, I don't know, but Valentine's Day is coming. Hang on. So she hung on, and a few nights later, she woke up again having a dream. She said, Honey, this time I had this incredible dream. I dreamed you gave me a pearl necklace. What do you think it means? He goes, Honey, listen, I told you, Valentine's Day is coming. Just hang on. So... A few nights later, she, uh, she had another dream, and she woke up, and she looked at her husband, and she said, Honey, this time I, I had a dream that you bought me a diamond necklace. What, is, what do you think that means? And he says, Honey, just wait till tonight. I'm going to give you your Valentine's gift. So they went through the day. They did their stuff, and on Valentine's Day evening, in a real romantic setting, sat down. She opened the present, and it was a book titled The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and guys, it's all about them. Don't blow it. <laughs> I want to ask you, is everyone glad to be here today? Okay, yeah, who? Good. I want to do a little brain bender right off the bat. So you've got to be thinking with me. Are you ready to roll? A little word association to kick off Sunday morning. And we'll see how well it works. But I'm going to say a word. Maybe a phrase, but a word. And then I want you to tell the person sitting next to you what's the first thing that comes to your mind. Don't take a lot of time to really go, hmm. But, you know, think about it. First thought, you know, gut reaction, knee-jerk response. And uh, let's just quickly go through these. Okay, here's the first one. It's pretty easy. Are you ready? Mona. No, tell your person next to you. You're not talking to me. Okay, how many? Yeah, okay, Lisa, that's an easy one. Okay, uh, the person next to you, a Super Bowl. Yeah, I figure I heard the Hanskins here. Sings! How about this one? Vacation. How many said Hawaii? Yeah, there you go. Diet. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Boo, yes, yeah. Not a good word. One of my favorites. Here it goes. Survivor. Yeah, how many said Russell? How many said Rupert? That's my favorite show. It's a great show. I love it. Heroes and Villains started this past Thursday. Check it out. President. Yeah, you're starting to yell out at me again. Talk to the person next to you. Yeah, I heard a lot of Lincolns. Okay, here we go. Last one. Born again Christian. Oh. <laughs> We're going to think about that one, don't we? A little quiet. I want to land there for a second. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could electronically tabulate all of the words that quickly floated throughout this room when I said the word born again Christian? Wouldn't it be fascinating to hear the responses? Wouldn't it be very telling? I mean, let's take it a step further. What do you think would happen if we did a man on the street with hundreds of people who basically were living far from God? 
What if we said to them something like this? Do you know any born-again Christians? And if so, how would you characterize them? How would you explain them? What, what are your impressions of them? Don't, don't you think we'd get an earful? I wonder if their impressions might include some of these types of things. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've come across a number of Christians that are they're pretty, they're pretty hypocritical. You know, they, they, they say one thing, but, but their lives are really, they, they don't line up at all. I mean, they say one thing, but totally live and do another. I wonder if we wouldn't hear something like, yeah, I've come across a few Christians. Hmm. Uh, how do I describe them? They're just so uptight, so narrow-minded, so rigid. Or, you know, I, I remember some from school, but they, they were pretty isolated. You know, they kind of kept to themselves all the time. They were just kind of off on their own. Kind of a little weird. You know, I don't know any of them very well. They kind of hang out with their own type. They certainly don't rub shoulders with people like me. Oh, yeah, I, know, I, know a, I know a couple of born-again type people. Now, what a turnoff. Man, I, I, I feel judged if I just inhale wrong. I mean, she's so self-righteous and haughty. She has to be right all the time. I mean, absolutely egotistical, opinionated. Christians, classic simpletons. They live with their perpetual crutches. You know what I mean. I mean... They throw their little Bible verses at the world's most complex problems. They don't think. Would you give me a break? How many of those perceptions are out there? 30, 50, 80%? Whatever it is, the percentage is way too high. What if, how about you and I figure out a way to stop the bleeding in this area? where we really begin to evaluate how we live and how we communicate to reverse the trends that are so true out there. I just got an email recently from, a, I, that, from some, somebody outside this church. I'm so sick and tired of people judging other Christians for things that the way they do ministry. They judge people that are leading people to Christ because they don't do it their way. They're wrong. And then people outside the church see and hear how that takes place. And it's no wonder they don't want to come to any church. Because there are some that are so stinking rigid. If you don't do it their way, speak their language, you're not really doing what God wants. See, God's heart beats, loved ones, for pointing people to faith. Faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And while you and I are on this earth, we are asked to tell about God himself. With the people that we come into contact with, we have to be able to be ready to share about our story. What, we, what, what has Jesus done for us? Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be powerful and terrific if when somebody asks about Christians, they might say something like this, hmm, I don't know if it's true about all of them, but the ones I know, listen, these are some of the things that distinguish them. It's their integrity. And they live right. 
Their words and their lives match up. There's a moral courage to them. They're able to stand up in a dignifying way without being condescending and putting everybody else down. They have true convictions, but they don't make everybody else feel wrong and bad with the way they do it. God, wouldn't that be powerful? Wouldn't that be a miracle? Christians, yeah, they're, they're the ones that crumb across. I mean, they're, they're, they're ridiculously, incredibly filled with compassion. They just are so kind to people, to everybody. Not the ones that are like them, not the ones that they get along with, but they are just compassionate and kind people. Christians, oh yeah, they tell the truth. They're straight shooters, man. They'll speak the truth, but they do it with grace. Yeah, they're, they're Christians, they're... They're concerned for the poor. No one cares for the poor like Christians. They don't take some kind of political stance that just says, yeah, the people here are pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. Yeah, we got enough in our backyard to do. Forget the world. No, they, they, they will leverage what they have to do their best to help the poor. Now, you know, Christians, they're, they're humble people. They're honest. They have this incredible inner strength. And when they go through difficult times, you really see, they're, they're, it, it, when it, it's when they go through those difficult times that you see the reality of their faith in God. Christians, yeah, they're always taking walks across the room. Whenever somebody needs a little encouragement, whenever somebody needs a little friendship, whenever somebody just needs a little lift, they're the first ones to be there. Yeah, Christians, they really do love well. They love God, they love people, and they love Survivor. And um, <laughs> not really. <laughs> but don't you wish all those things were, except for the last one, don't you wish all those things could be said about us? Yeah. That we live that way. That's the type of press I wish was out there about us, friends. I also wish people said that whenever Christ followers talk about God, they were clear, they were positive, they were ramped up, they were excited, not in some kind of giddy, fake way, but they, you, you just knew they loved their God, and they believed in their God, and they trusted their God. Man, you should hear them talk about Him. It's clear, it's quick, it's concise. And it's relatable, and it's relevant, and it's understandable. Let me ask you, are, are those some of the things that you would hope for? Wouldn't it make it so much easier out there? It sure would. I hope so, because that's what we're really devoting our time to this morning and this week, as we're trying to be ready to be people who, who communicate like a walk-across-the-room kind of person. That's our message today. And, and I want to seek the answers. I want to help us work through these two things. How do we talk about God in a way that, is, that has clarity and and passion? And how do we convey our personal faith stories, our personal story, in a way that's humble and interesting? So first thing in your notes here, know that stories are powerful. The power of story, the power of words is undeniable throughout the Bible. You know that, we know that. Words are powerful, both, you see it throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I I just want to kind of Floods your mind, your consciousness for a few moments here. Just reminders from the Word how supremely useful and how incomparably powerful words can be. On your notes there, you'll see some of these. But notice Ecclesiastes 6.11. It says that when, that when we use our words sparsely, succinctly, they're going to carry great meaning. Proverbs 119.130 
talks about how the words, how words can give light. They give understanding to the people who don't understand, and especially about the message of God. Proverbs 12, 18 says that although reckless words can pierce like a sword, other words, they can come from the tongue of the wise and they actually bring healing. Proverbs 17, 27 talks about that when, when used with restraint, words prove that you're a person of knowledge. How you communicate and don't overtalk or overshare, it shows you probably have more knowledge. Ecclesiastes 9.17 says that the words you speak, they're going to be heeded when they're spoken quietly. They're not driven. They're not demanded. They're not condescending. Proverbs 18, uh, 16.24 says that pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Isn't that a great image? I, and I got to, I'm so tired of Christians. I'm sorry, but I am. I am so tired of Christians that use language to try and cut down and beat up people and put them in their place. The Bible says that they're to be healing words. That's how Jesus used them. Ecclesiastes 10.12 says, Although a fool is consumed by his own lips, that he says this, that a wise man's mouth is gracious and brings wisdom. Deuteronomy 32, too, talks about how words can actually descend like dew. You wake up in the morning and there's just that stillness. Like showers on new grass. Like an abundant rain on tender plants that can nourish. Be refreshing. Humble words. Healing words. Wise words. Gentle words. Grace-filled words. Are you known for speaking these kinds of words? If your closest friends or family members who live underneath the same roof as you do, who know you the best, if they were polled anonymously, would they say that in the course of normal everyday life that you could be counted on to speak kind words, gracious words, encouraging words, healing words, hopeful words? Well, let's just take this morning, for example. Think about the last thing you said before you left the house. What did you say and who did you say it to? Or how about before service started as you walked into this room? What were some of the last things that you said and who did you say it to? Were they spoke with life-giving, inspiring, grace-filled messages? Isn't it powerful? Isn't it interesting how God allows such power to inhabit our words? He says life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's astounding power for good or for evil. And it just seems to me that if we could find a way to use our words for good in people's lives, if we could be known for being clear, compassionate, humble, succinct, and relevant, and we could, we, you and I, loved ones, could begin to diminish a lot of the negative, awful, ugly perceptions out there of Christians. And at the very least, if no other place in Martinez, people, when people start making all these characterizations and caricatures of Christians, at least in Martinez, they would say, you know what? That, that's true. I've seen it on TV. I've heard about it from other people. But you know those people over there at Creekside? Uh, they, they don't act that way. They don't talk that way. Be your own judge. But in my opinion, there's two primary areas where effective, efficient words 
could exponentially improve people's perceptions about Christ's followers. And I, and I really believe the first one is how we talk about God. Explaining who He is and what He's done for us. And then secondly, we talk about our personal experience with God in a way that promotes Him as well as shares about what He's done for us. So what's God's story? What is your story? How can you, how can you get them both told well so that your listeners will listen. Maybe walk away and say, you know, that makes sense. I understand that. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. So you know what? First thing you got to know, God has a story. Our words are so powerful, but you know what? We've got to learn to tell God's story better. Last week, we discovered that after you decide to walk across the room, it's important to what? Not just focus on what we want to get from the person, but we hear from them. That we, we don't talk about downloading information on them, but we focus on hearing what they have to say. It's critical to discover the other person's story before we ever try and download God's story. We go with their agenda and conversation, not ours. It's absolutely, friends, critical to listen for the Spirit's guidance in this. And that what we do next is being led by Him. I got a hunch that once you really commit yourself to do this, becoming a walk across the room person, that you engage people where they are, living in the whole 3D, developing friendships and relationships, God's going to blow the doors open for you. This past week it happened to me. Remember I talked about all those prejudicial things that we carry in our hearts as Christ followers? I, I didn't really feel like I had any of those. And then all of a sudden I went out for my jog right before growth group. And I just, you know, I, I kind of push everything. And so I had about a, you know, a 30-minute window to finish my jog and, and then come home, get cleaned up, and be ready for growth group. Well, on the way home, I was finishing, and my next-door neighbor, older gentleman, been retired for a long time, I saw him, and I go, okay. <clears throat> you know, I, I, what am I going to do here? i got about 35 minutes. So... Oh, yeah, walk across the street. Do this, do that. So I went over there. I started talking to him. And all of a sudden, as I'm just talking to him, uh, he, he starts pulling the God card on me. Well, you know, you're a minister. And we were talking about Tiger Woods. He was talking about Tiger Woods and uh, Phil Mickelson and about family stuff. And he goes, and, and you know, as a, as a pastor, how, you know, I'm sure it was, just, it was really amazing, you know. And I'm just listening. He's kind of quoting things that I would say almost. And, and God just opens this incredible door. And the whole time, God's going, see, you gave up on this guy. You thought he was too old, too set in his ways. And that's why you haven't spent any time with him. I mean, that, that was the download in, in nanoseconds from God as I'm listening to this guy. See how easy, see how subtle it is? And so I spent there. We just talked for about 20 minutes. Shared life. And I walked away from that almost late for growth group. But I thought, wow, God, that's... See, when you make a decision to do it, it's amazing how God will just open the doors and you just listen to the whispers, the promptings. Be available. God has a story, a powerful story. I didn't, I didn't download the story on him, but, but I, I really opened a door that hasn't been opened for a while. As I left, he said, hey, it was really good talking to you. Just a simple thing. God has a story. Let's test your current comfort level for telling it, okay? 
Let's say, what would you say if someone in your current sphere of relational orbit or influence came to you today and said, you know, Bob or Barbara, we've been friends for a while now. And, and, and it's been cool that you really haven't kind of dropped the, the God card on me and forced all the God stuff on me, even though you probably know my life would be better with it. But I'm thinking about giving it a chance. I, I guess you could say, you know what? Some things in my life have gone south recently, and I, and I, wanna, I need to figure this out. And yeah, it is kind of sort of a last-ditch effort to make it work. But I wonder if before I dive into this thing, before I go to church, if you'd explain the whole deal to me. What is it about God that so many people are attracted to? I mean, is he really all that necessary in one's life? And what's it, what's it going to do for me? You see, friends, that in sophisticated theological language is called a wide open door. What would you do with that? Would you know what to do? (laughs) Call Pastor Terry. That is the wrong answer. (laughs) Not because I wouldn't want to do it, but God's placed you there. See, all of a sudden, you know what? Our palms get sweaty. Our mouth gets dry. our, our, Our pulse quickens. And we don't know what in the world to do. But friends, those kinds of situations should make your pulse quicken in a really strong way, in a positive way, where you just kind of relax and say, oh God, thank you for this opportunity. I've got about three minutes and I'm going to take advantage of it. What would you do? I want to tell you what what, what I believe would be the best way to do this, a sure way that has helped so many people. It doesn't always, it's not a, it's not like a guarantee But some of us don't know what to say. We would just start talking vague, nebulous, all over the charts terms. Probably drop some kind of theological language on them that they, by the time they were done, they would go, huh, don't get it. Or we might just say, well, just go to church with me. Let Pastor (laughs) No, and that's good. But this is what you need to do. You need to explain the God story quickly, succinctly, and in a relevant way. So the next time you find yourself in a delicate conversation and you're talking, God's at work. Be clear. Grab a napkin. Grab a piece of paper. Do something. But use this illustration. It's called the bridge illustration. You see it there in your notes. Okay? In this illustration, it's it's really clear. You got to establish two things. You got to establish the the relationship of people and God. Okay? There's a person and there's God. God. You don't have to get into creation. You don't have to get into all the nuances of Genesis 1. You just say, listen, I'm going to tell you what I believe. You ask me my story or you ask about God's story. Let me just give it to you quick. Don't get sidetracked. If they want to go off on rabbit trails, say, we'll get to that later. But let me just tell you the, the, the genesis, the beginnings, the foundation of what I believe. See, people have this incredible propensity to rebel, yet there's this desire, this longing to know God. But God's perfect. He's holy. So he's over here, and there's a, there's, a, there's a chasm that separates us. What's that chasm called? Write these words in there. Sin. Rebellion. People rebel against God. We see it all the time. They don't want to do God's way. They want to go their own way. So we got this incredible chasm. And nobody can bridge 
getting across there. Oh, we try, and we believe that by being good, doing good, we're going to be able to get across that chasm. But God says, no, I'm perfect, I'm holy, and you can never be perfect enough or good enough. And in the end, we begin to realize that all of our human effort will never be enough to get across that chasm to God. But see, thankfully, in the foundations of eternity, at some place, God made a decision. He knew mankind would fall. He sympathized with our dilemma, and because of his great love for us, he intervenes. And he says, somehow I've got to establish a bridge between people and me, sinners to get to the holy God. So what does he do? In this solution, he simply did this. He chose his son, Jesus Christ, to serve as the bridge. So what do you do? You draw this little picture right here. And after you tell him about the chasm, then right smack dab in the middle, you draw a cross with the cross beam going across from you, people, to God. Draw a cross there in yours so you remember that. That's the thing that bridges the gap, makes it possible for us to get across this chasm of sin and rebellion. Jesus came to give us life, lead us to God. Matthew 121, he will save his people from their sins. That's why his name is called Emmanuel, God with us, so that he can make a pathway to Father God so he could spend eternity with him. Friends, that's the bottom line. You could do that in three or four minutes. That's God's ultimate story. It doesn't get bogged down with all the other details of stuff. Bottom line, everybody needs a Savior. If you remember nothing else about the bridge illustration, remember this, Christ came on earth to be our bridge. And whoever makes a decision to cross the bridge into a relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? They live with God forever. That's what the scripture is there. You'll see John chapter 5, verse 24. I will tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word believes him who sent me, the Father God that sent Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying this. He has eternal life. He won't be condemned. Why? He has crossed over from death to life. Imagine if you went home today and just wrote out in in a couple of paragraphs what I just told you. And you really committed it to pretty much memory so that you could sit down with anybody. It'll be in your reading this week as well. And just sit down, commit that to memory so that when you have the opportunity, you can sit down with somebody. And instead of downloading all the stuff on them, you just give them God's ultimate story. It's a great illustration to find out where the person is. Because see what you can do. And you'll see this, with you saw it last week with uh, Bill and Dave, the story that he's telling at one point, he said, to, he said to his friend Dave, Dave, he drew this little illustration, and he said, Dave, where are you on this? On this continuum, where are you? Put an X where you are. Are you way over here? Are you on the cross, making the cross the pathway over? What did Dave say? He goes, Bill, if you want me to be honest with you, I'm in the next booth, you know? I'm way, way, way. But that just told Bill, okay, that's where he is. This is a long-haul deal. And it isn't to, you, to put pressure on somebody. It's to find out where they are so you know how to continually relate to them and build life with them. 
Senior reading, you're also going to uh, uh, read about another great illustration that's just about as simple. It's called the, the ladder, and it helps people see where they are in the goodness scale, where you take God up here at the top of the ladder, and then you take the bottom ladder, bottom part of the ladder, and you put the people like Jeffrey Dahmer and Adolf Hitler and all those people that we say are just, you know, incorrigible and the worst kind of people in the world. And then you ask, you know, you put some other people in there, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and your wife, and ask them to see where do they rank. It's another great illustration that you'll read about. It helps people understand this whole goodness scale really doesn't work. No matter the illustration, loved ones, use words that minister. Not confrontive, not argumentative, not condescending words, but words, humble words, healing words, wise words, gentle words, kind words that bring grace to the hearer. See, Colossians 4 said it this way, let our speech be seasoned with grace to all those who are outside and hear us. Friends, we are not responsible for transforming any human heart. Your role, my role, our role is simply to be ready when we're prompted and we're confronted with an opportunity to share God's story. That we be clear, we become passionate, and we share the picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what Father God has done for us through Jesus Christ. It's God's story. I challenge you today to commit it to memory. And don't allow it to get garbly gooked up with all the other stuff that we think we've got to tell people. Second thing is, is you've got a story. You have a story. And we've got to learn to tell our story well, don't we? God's got a story, but we've got a story. Some of you don't believe this. Some of people have said to me, I hear it all the time, well, you know, I grew up in the church. I think I come to Christ when I was six years, and I, six years old and I made a commitment. I've never deviated since. Friends, that's the greatest story in the world. Because so many people grow up in the church and they hate the church. That's an incredible story to tell. And then some of us go, my story is so bad, I wouldn't want to tell it to anybody. No, that's a good story too. Because you know what the truth is? Most of us land more on the sinner side than the saint side. Now, you don't have to go in and delve into every stinking detail. But hopefully each of us, every one of us that are sitting here, is different because God came into our lives, whether we recognize it at six years old or 30 years old. At some point, we recognize that when we were bowled over by his amazing grace, when his life invaded our world, it capsized it, and it brought major doses of mercy, grace, and love, and power that we understand at some point at a heart level, not just a head level, but a heart level, that we have been forgiven for our sinfulness. And friends, once you really begin to understand that, and you can move beyond, I'm a really good person, I don't know why God even needed to come, but I'm, you know, when you can get beyond that and you can say, I needed a Savior, you've got a story. And it may not be as colorful as some, but it's a story that you can tell. Let me read from you from your notes there, Luke chapter 5. It says this, One day, in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. When Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and he said, if you want to, you can cleanse me. What a great statement of faith. And Jesus put out his hand, he touched him, and he said, I want to be clean. And then there his skin was smooth and his leprosy was gone. Talk about, oh, happy day. 
This is an incredible story. Imagine what this man experienced. Do you think he told a lot of people about it? I mean, he, he, he just being, see, leprosy was, was such an outcast. It would have been like, like AIDS initially when AIDS first came on the scene. And everyone, well, what do we do? How close can we get? Can we get it by breathing or, or you know, blood? All of these things. That's what leprosy, they actually had, they had them outside the camp, outside the city. People would literally throw stones at them. And if somebody came within 100 yards of him, the leper would have to go unclean, unclean, and jump down, jump up and around so that people knew. Talk about a stigma. And all of a sudden, this guy gets healed and his skin is pure and white. Talk about a before and after. And he goes to people and He's helpless. He, he, he couldn't heal himself in a thousand years. And the doctors couldn't heal him. And all of a sudden, Jesus fixed it all. And his story begins to evolve like this. I, I was sick. Now I'm well. I was diseased. I was seen as unclean by everybody. Now I'm cleansed. I can move into the social ranks of our city and culture and community. I was a social and physical and spiritual outcast. But now I'm accepted. I was left for dead. Now I got a whole new lease on life. Who knows which aspect of his life, his former life, that was most compelling to this leper? What would he focus on telling in his before and after story? But I want to say it. Every, most of us, the vast majority of us in this room today, friends, we have a before and an after story pattern with God too. And that makes up our story to share. My before Christ, this is where I was. I grew up in Dysfunction Junction. I lived most of my life on my own. My dad was there, but I had so much freedom. But for whatever reason, God had his hand upon me. And I could add just a few more points, but see, we, we, we get so caught up in feeling we've got to tell all the, have all the theological issues settled and known And that's why we're so afraid. We're so afraid of somebody asking us a question that we can't answer. Listen, can I tell you something? It doesn't bother me anymore. I'm a pastor, and I don't don't know. But I'll find out. I'll work hard to find out. But I don't know. It doesn't bother me anymore. Well, you're the God man. I know. You know, you're a God person. We're all God people. I don't got to know every every answer. This is the truth, loved ones. Hear this. And I've said it before. Write it down, though. It's one of my favorite sayings. The person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. I, I don't care what anybody says to me. I know where I could have been. I know where I was headed before I come to Jesus Christ as an 18-year-old. And I know how good my life is now. Not easy, but good. See, this isn't some kind of state. I don't throw that quote out there so you go, well, let's just be stupid and let's not grow in the knowledge and understanding of God. Absolutely not. Enlarge your brain and your thinking toward the things of God. But I see so few people come to Jesus Christ because they've been argued into the kingdom or proven into the kingdom. That's why our story becomes so critical and important. So here's a few ideas to remind, to remind, to remember about your before and your after experience with Christ. Because most of us have some of these general themes. And first of all, I was striving. That was my thing. I wanted to please God. I wanted to do right before God. 
But it just always caused me angst. I lay my head down on, the, on my bed and I wonder, am I good enough? Am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go to hell? And then all of a sudden, I realized one night I was inebriated and God spoke to me. And from that time on, I totally changed my direction and I began to have an incredible growing peace in my life about who God was. Some would say, you know, I was totally self-destructive. Everything I did was to take my life down, the decisions I made. And I wasn't purposeful, but I knew it wasn't good for me. Oh, but now I'm growing in healthiness. Before, I was always guilt-ridden. Now I've come to Christ. He's released me, and I'm free. And, and I feel conviction at times when I do wrong, but I don't feel I don't live with this low-grade sense of guilt. Or maybe some of us would say, I was just totally, I lived my whole life in fear. Fear about this, fear about that. Guess what? I'm becoming a more confident person now. See, it doesn't have to be much more complicated than this, friends. Simple, succinct, humble, true. But where people see your life, they see you being transformed and the things that you say, literally you're living them out. Now, while it should be easy, to be honest, it is possible for our stories to derail. And this happens in a few ways. Number one, is, is our, our stories really get off track when we do a few things. First of all, it's, we use a dump truck instead of a shovel. We, 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 we overgive information. We slaughter or bury people with the information that we give them. Even when the listener begins to send all of these signals that danger, danger, enough, you know, but we just keep talking. And, and all of a sudden, these warning signals go on that they're disinterested, and soon, disdain begins to take place. And then you wonder why they never want to see you again. Oh my gosh, I don't want 30 minutes of God talk. Friends, it should be about three minutes. Here's another issue. As Christ followers, we get really fuzzy about the story's core theme. One gets all tangled up in a dozen storylines and leaves the listener frustrated and confused, exhausted and baffled. And dare I say, beyond belief. I I, I have fished at times. I really kind of like it. But you know what really drives me crazy about fishing is when you cast the line and it gets caught up in rocks. Or, or worse, it gets caught up in four or five other people's lines. I mean, it just, you know, it just gets tangled, and then you spend all the time trying to untangle it. See, we're called fishers of men, and sometimes we cast our, net, our, our line, and it gets tangled up in, so, in the reefs and the rocks of, of confusion and so much theological information instead of just being simple and succinct. Or we get off on so many theological tangents. Another thing that really causes it to derail is we use four-syllable insider words. Well, you know, brother, when you come to Jesus, he wants to sanctify you. (laughs) And he wants to justify you because it's going to ultimately lead to the glorification of Jesus Christ. You know, we start talking weird. Cut the lingo. Cut the Christianese. I don't even use it on Sunday morning. Because you've got to be relatable. Nobody gives a rip about your 25-cent theological words. They're important. Not saying that. But not when you're just trying to share the simple message of Jesus Christ and your story. And the last one is this. is We derail this way. And hear this. 
Your story will derail. It'll leave a trail of smoke if you play this superiority card. Well, you know, <laughs> I come to Christ about 20 years ago and look at me. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm, I'm pretty good. And you can have this too. Just come to Jesus. And you don't share anything that, you know, I still struggle. But that superiority card is so bad. Let me just give you a quick illustration of this. When I was a senior in Bible college, I was so smart. I mean, I just, listen, I knew everything. I had a friend that I went to school with. He was an agnostic. His name was Bob Balmer. We sat in the Eugene IHOP. He was an agnostic, a great guy, one of my best friends. And we sat there. I sat there for four hours. And I just drilled this sucker with, with, uh, with just downloading all my Bible college education on him. We spent, listen, out of that four hours, we spent two and a half hours debating whether you could be a Christian and believe in abortion. How stupid is that? Now, now don't let me shock you here. You can be a Christian and believe in abortion. Oh my gosh. Can I tell you something? There is really no litmus test for becoming a Christ follower except this. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he came? He died for your sins. Came in as a, uh, was born of a virgin, virgin, died for your sins, rose on the third day, and is seated at the right hand of God now, and is coming to judge the world someday. But he's already judged your sins. Do you believe that? Okay, if you believe that, guess what? And you begin to live that out. I don't care what any of your other beliefs are. This is what I believe. As you begin to believe that, God will begin to change your beliefs and your behaviors over time. I spent two and a half hours talking about a, uh, a subject that had no bearing on Bob's eternal soul. Have you ever done that? Because I'm going to prove something. Now, I don't argue hardly anything with anybody because it's not going to change him. This is my story. This is God's story. I'm sticking to it. Do what you want with it. And I don't do it in that way, but... (laughs) That's borders on arrogance, doesn't it? But but that's my attitude inside where I just go, this is it. I just want to give you the facts. I want to give you the truth. And those other things, that'll work out. You don't believe in creation? Okay. Let's talk about Jesus. I don't want to argue about that. And see, friends, that's what I mean. We, we throw so many lines out there. We get tangled up or we get superior. You've got to believe what I believe. No, you've got to believe about Jesus Christ and what he did for you. That is the baseline starting point. Everything else can change after that. I want to close this way. We're going to have a special song and invite the worship team to come out. Remember the guy in Luke chapter 5? He was healed of leprosy. I just told you the story a little bit. Well, this, this is the rest of the story. Listen to what it says. Jesus instructed him, don't talk about this all over town. Just quietly present your healed self to the priest, along with the offering ordered by Moses, because they had to go to the temple and be cleared to be able to become a functioning part of society again. He says, you're cleansed and obedient life, not your words, will bear witness to what I've done. See, the, the bottom line is we've got to live it out, loved ones. But listen to this. 
This man couldn't keep it to himself, and word got out. Soon a large crowd of people had gathered to listen and be healed of their ailments. See, leprosy in in the Bible, and this man had leprosy, but it's also a picture of of the sinfulness of man, that, that everybody gets it. And once you get it, because we've all been born into it, that's another truth. Everyone's got to believe. You've got to believe you're a sinner. You've got to know it. But that's not bad. That's not hopeless. The hope is Jesus Christ. But what does this guy do? Jesus says to him, don't tell anybody. But what does he do? He couldn't keep it to himself. Isn't it amazing that Jesus tells them back then, don't tell anybody, and they tell everybody. He leaves this world and he says, tell everybody. <laughs> and we don't tell anybody. Because, well, we're afraid, and who wants to be rejected, and who wants to take the time to invest? That's why we're talking about this, loved ones, so we can begin to learn how to be relatable, how to walk across the room, how to be succinct, how to tell his story and our story. We want to tell everybody in the right way, in the right time, through the promptings of the Spirit. So here's what I want you to do this week. And, and please, don't, don't, even, don't even tell me you don't want to write, okay? Quote it to somebody or read it so they can do it for you. This is what I want us to do this week. I want you to write your own story in a hundred words or less. Two points, before and after. Fifty words before, fifty words after. Or forty and sixty, whatever. You see, you don't have to get into details. But you're thinking, well, okay, Pastor, I don't know. If I did that, boy, I don't know if, that, oh, if it's going to make sense. Good. This is what I'm going to do. I'm putting together a team of people. Who we're going to review them for you and help you adjust them or work through them. Not to criticize them, but to critique them, to say, maybe change this or use this. But friends, do it. See, well, why, we'll, do, we'll, we'll give so much energy and effort and commitment to so many things except the things of God. And we'll make excuses. Can you imagine going to work and saying, you know what, I don't like to write. So I'm not going to fill out that report. I don't like to read. I'm not going to read that. Uh, But we'll do that here. So if you don't like to write, don't like to type, then tell somebody. Say, would you just give me about an hour and do this with me? And then send it to us. And we'll go through them. We'll help you with them. Maybe we can make a little booklet of all the Creekside stories because there's some powerful ones here, but a hundred words or less. Now, these are the commitments you've got to make to me. No, 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 don't write any big words. Sanctification, justification, glorification, soteriology, and all that stuff. No big words. No, no theological stuff other than God loves them and he died for you. And, and none of this, I'm super Christian. Look at me now. <laughs> Look at me. No opus. No war and peace opus. A hundred words or less. See, we're not going to be able to dismiss all the negative perceptions, loved ones, but we can do our part as a congregation to begin to downplay those stereotypes in our community, can't we? In your work, in our neighborhoods. We can do our part to lead our community to say, man, those people over there at Creekside, they know their God, they can tell his story, and they can tell their story for God.
How many want to do that? How many want to do that? You want to be able to influence people for Christ. And I hope we're 100% on this. Because we've got to do something, loved ones, for our community and for our world. I want to invite the ushers to come forward. And while they sing, we're going we're gonna to do an offertory this morning. We're going to do a song. It's called Unwritten. I want to invite you to take your connections cards. Fill it out. Everybody, fill your connections cards out. And if you have a prayer request, write it down. If you're a guest, I want to welcome you and thank you for coming today. This song really just says, you know, we're, we're unwritten. We're not finished. But friends, we, we are the story that people are going to see. We're the Jesus, his hands extended, that people are either going to embrace or reject out there. And we have to begin to understand that. And how we talk, the power of our words, the attitudes that we portray, it's going to make all the difference in the world, whether people listen or they're going to go, yeah, you're just like one of those other bigoted, narrow-minded, creepy Christians. I don't want that. Do you? No, let's change it. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray that today, Lord, we would begin to be people who not only learn our story, but tell our story, who learn your story and tell your story. Lord, receive our offering now with thanksgiving and praise. And I thank you for every guest and visitor and person here today that you bless them. And Lord, let there be something spark and ignite our spirit to say, I want to be ready. I want to be able to do it. I want to be an unwritten book that is continually speaking and open, Lord, to tell your story as your story is lived out in my life. And if there's anybody here today that you've never crossed that line and asked Jesus into your life, you, you need to walk across, embrace the cross to get to Father God today. And just say, I'm a sinner that needs Him and embrace Him today. And just simply on your connections card, Mark, I'm, I'm making this commitment today. It's not a matter of anything special other than believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that you believe Jesus is who he is and Jesus did what he said he would do. I pray, Lord, for all of us today that you would continue to